0: And welcome to the Culture Watch Podcast. This is a podcast outreach of Speaking for Him. I'm so grateful that you are joining me today. My name is Andrew Gomison, and each and every Monday I get the opportunity to be your host and walk you through some current events and news stories from a biblical perspective. My hope in doing this is that it will equip us to be in the world but not of the world and to encourage those around us to look at life events through the lens of God's Word. With that being said, please make sure that you let your family and friends know if you appreciate the show and that you give us any feedback that can help us by sending your feedback with the contact information that will roll at the end of the show. I am truly grateful for everyone that listens and everyone that contributes to make Speaking for Him what it is and to make the Culture Watch podcast a productive and useful tool in the hands of my fellow believers. With that being said, let's jump into the news for the week of February 26th. Today, we're going to start with the latest directive out of the State Department. Joe Biden's
1: Secretary of State is trying to warn his staff about the dangers of misgendering. According to a February 5th memo obtained by the National Review, Anthony Blinken cautioned against problematic gender terms like brave men and women or ladies and gentlemen. He suggested gender neutral terms instead, brave first responders or folks. The State Department spokesman got asked about this nonsense.
0: It's a standard government practice to try to encourage just people just to be respectful of others uh, and use the
2: terms that uh, with which others are comfortable. Well, I mean, d- 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 does the secretary or anyone else in the building have an issue with the phrase "ladies and gentlemen"? Uh, I do not have. Uh, uh,
0: uh, I, I do. Hold on, I do not have any any problem with the term "ladies and gentlemen," and I feel fully confident saying the secretary does not either.
1: Alright Charlie, so why promote a far left agenda, uh, and, and in this activism in the State Department when we've got wars raging in Ukraine and Gaza? I'm actually kind of impressed. That was pretty bold to say that he didn't have a
0: problem with saying ladies and gentlemen. Right. That, was a, that was quite a stand. No, it's all so absurd. It's all so ridiculous. And the point of it is the absurdity. If you, uh, if you, I don't know if anybody watches watch this movie, The Hunger Games, but the, all the government leaders in The Hunger Games are so ridiculous. The, the opulence is ridiculous and absurd. And at some point, it, but that becomes the point. And when you when you listen to these debates, when you have so many important things going on around the world and in our own country, and, and you have a president talking about junk fees and st- uh, shrinkflation and all this idiotic nonsense, it's their way. It, it should be a less a, a, a signal to us. They have no ideas.
1: They're out of ideas and they don't care. You know, Dana, the the, the concept of uh, the, or the threat they call it of misgendering, uh, the State Department actually is allowing therapy uh, <laughs> sessions for people within the State Department because apparently there was an email that went out uh, to everyone and they misgendered a few people, and now we're paying for therapy for people in the State Department.
3: Do you, I, I re- go back to 2015 or 2016, and President Trump was at a rally of some sort, maybe not a huge rally, but like it was early days. And one of the things he said was, political correctness is killing our country. And he got a standing ovation. And I remember that moment sticks in my mind because it is things like this that remind everyone of why he said something like that. And the State Department might say, Oh, it's just a, it's just a little memo. Not a big deal. Like, what, what, what is everybody talking about? No, this is getting into the minds of everyone that is the one, the recipient of the memo. And a lot of those people are moms and dads. Mm-hmm. And they also have sons and daughters, and they don't want this creeping into their life. And and do you think a memo like this from the Secretary of State just is, like,
0: thrown in the trash can? No, bureaucrats take it seriously. This is so sad to think about that this is such a major issue for the Biden administration, the issue of misgendering. Now, I think that this is pretty ridiculous just from the standpoint of – I'm generally not around when other people call me by a pronoun. If someone is talking about me in the sense that he said this or he did this, I'm not even in the room. That's the first point. So this whole idea that I have to hear my pronouns to be validated and that it's to the level of feeling like it's violence against you and you needing therapy for it if it doesn't come out right, that is just downright weird to me. That's the first point. The second point is that they put out this directive, and then when they do a press conference, they're backing off on its importance. The reality is we've already had several news stories and several instances where people have talked about how catastrophic it is when people get gender wrong. This is just an opportunity for the devil to confuse people. It's another manifestation of the devil saying it's not good enough to be created male and female and to embrace that identity that God gave you. You have to want more. You have to wish it was different because God does not know what he is talking about. And that's really the lie that the devil's been telling since the Garden of Eden. Remember his approach to Adam and Eve, was not just to convince them to eat the fruit. His approach was to use God's words to try to convince Eve that God didn't know what he was doing. And, of course, Eve gave to Adam, and the human race has been struggling and suffering ever since. But I think the biggest thing to take away from this is just the fact that there are so many more important issues to deal with than how someone is gendered. And I have heard people that feel like they're a different gender even say that this is much ado about nothing because they are confident enough in what they believe to realize that someone is not obligated to know exactly the right way to speak around them. I think this goes even further than gender, too, because I feel like we're living in a place in America today where everyone wakes up and seeks to be offended about something. And they just can't handle it if someone says something that could even be construed as offensive. Instead of considering intent, instead of considering the attitude with which someone says something, it's automatically in the offensive lot. We can't have little girls dressing up as Moana because that's cultural appropriation. We need to realize this, that people are not going out of their way, for the most part, to offend us. And so we should, I think, assume the best about someone when they say something In the public eye. And if they truly do say something. That is extremely offensive. Then we should be willing to talk to them and say. You know this was offensive to me and I'll tell you why. But it should not be something where. Every single thing that someone says. Should be construed offensive simply because. It might to someone. I joke about my disability. All of the time. And so I don't mind. If someone says something funny. About. My wheelchair. Or about me living my life. And I use. The phrase for instance. Lame excuse all the time. Matter of fact I often say. I'm the only one I know. Or I should say. One of the few people I know. That actually has a legitimate lame excuse. And yet. Recently, as in the last couple of years, I heard of a British person who did an essay saying that they didn't like the phrase falling on deaf ears because they thought it was offensive to deaf people. Now, they are certainly within their rights to have that view. However, I think it can be a very hard life to live if everything that someone else says comes across as offensive to you. Sometimes people are saying things and they have no ill intent toward you and you should just let them lie. This is not to say that we should not be careful about what we say. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that everything that comes out of our mouth should be with the intent of edifying those around us. But I do think that we need to grow some thicker skin. The next story that I want to share with you is keeping us in Washington as we consider the implications of the 2024 presidential campaign. Democrat anxiety over the
1: 2024 election is reaching a boiling point. A new report shedding light on how some top Democrats fear Biden's campaign might be stumbling past a point of no return. Vice President Kamala Harris reportedly telling them that she isn't worried about losing to Donald Trump, but rather losing to the couch, which refers to voters who might stay home on Election Day. And Operation Dump Joe is growing louder. A New York Times columnist is cooking up a brand new way to bait Joe into stepping aside. Tell him he could be a hero.
0: I think Biden as painful as this is, should find his way to stepping down as a hero. That the party should help him find his way to that. To being the thing that he said he would be in 2020. The bridge to the next generation of Democrats. And then I think Democrats should meet in August at the convention to do what political parties have done at conventions so many times before. Organize victory.
1: But the big guy shows no signs of going away. And popular radio host Charlemagne the God is adding more fuel to the fire. He's calling out Joe Biden's special ability to be mediocre.
0: He's just an uninspiring candidate. Like, you know, there's nothing about, you know, Joe Biden that makes you want to listen to him. He has no main character energy.
2: At all, I don't think it has anything to do with, 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 with age, you know, I think it has just everything to do with with him, like Donald Trump is what four years, three years younger than President
1: Biden, but he just comes off a lot more youthful. He comes off you know, like he has a lot more energy
0: okay, so here's the deal. We've talked about this before on the show. I mentioned a story where people said that Michelle Obama was a top contender if they change up candidates at the convention well. Let me first say that I didn't think that Joe Biden would make it through the first term as president. And I guess if we're being brutally honest, he still has to make it until January 20th, 2025, if he does make it through the first term as president. But here's what Joe Biden should have done and what the Democrats should have persuaded him of before the election season, the primary season, got underway. They should have prevailed upon him for the good of the party to step aside in a similar way that London Baines Johnson did and say with London Baines, I will not seek nor will I accept the nomination of my party for President of the United States for a second term. That is literally the conversation that should have happened at the Democratic Party level months ago. And so now we're starting to say, primarily I think because of the decision not to try Joe because of his mental competence, but then trying to turn around and saying that he's competent enough to be president, whether or not these Democrats actually are worried about his mental competence or whether they are simply worried, as some say, about losing the presidency, they should have talked to him and prevailed upon him to have a one-term presidency and had some people ready to go for the primary-slash-caucus season. But instead, what they are saying is they want to do something that has been unprecedented in recent years, and that is to nominate someone completely different at the convention than is voted for in all of these primaries. I know right now that there are a couple Democrats on the ballot technically in the primary season. I can't say off the top of my head who they are. I know that Robert Kennedy Jr. is running an independent campaign, so he's not on that list. But we're in a situation now where all these primary-slash-caucus voters will basically be voting for Biden if they vote in the primary at all. And then come convention time, if some of these other Democrats get their way, he will not be the nominee. And there's something really screwed up about that. Because we have the opportunity... To make our voices heard on the primary level. I feel kind of cheated out of a primary this year on the Republican side. Because everybody just decided that Trump was the best choice and that there was nobody that could beat him. And so now we're sitting in a place where we haven't even had Super Tuesday. And we're looking at Donald Trump versus Joe Biden round two. And I think that that is a very sad place for our country to be. I really do. The primaries are important, folks, because you get the opportunity to pick the candidate on your side of the aisle that best represents who you are as a person. And so if I could encourage any one thing out of this experience it would be to revisit the importance of the primary. We need to get out to the primaries to make our voices heard, and that will make the general election all that much more feasible for so many of us. I remember thinking this in 2016 because so many people... We're not prioritizing voting in the primaries. And yet people were like, well, there's no way Trump will get elected. I was one of those people that said, there's no way Trump will get the nomination. And after the first few primaries, I still said the same thing. There's no way he gets the nomination. And then primary after primary, caucus after caucus passed. And he kept winning these states by these thin margins. Because remember, there was like 16 candidates for president on the on the Republican side in 2016. And as I have told many people, he was my 14th choice out of 16. 14th! And yet he was the one that got the nomination. Now, as I've said, I am very pleased with a lot of the things he did policy-wise in his first term but I wish we had some other choices this time around on both sides of the ticket. And so I wish, as I said, that the Democrats had been smart about this and chosen another candidate before all the primaries kicked off. I think it's unfair or people in Joe Biden's family to sit back and act like he can actually govern the United States of America effectively. There have been so many times where he loses where he is or loses his train of thought and this is totally apart from any policy decisions. This is just facts. You can, you can watch video after video of evidence in this regard. And for the good of the country, I think we need new blood to step up and lead. But the only way that happens is if people start to care about what's going on in their country. It's easy to couch your decision not to be involved in politics by saying, well, I'm just trying to be a good Christian. And I get too obsessed with politics. And if you are looking for politics to be your end-all, be-all, I would agree with you. You can get too obsessed with politics. But if you look at it the way I do, which is that every political decision is a moral decision, and Christians should have an opinion on it based on the standards of the God of the Bible then you realize its importance. Also keep in mind, as I often say, there are many countries where they don't get the right to do what we get to do, which is to choose the one that we feel most represents us and that we want to lead us. That's what being in a democratic republic is all about. Well, this next story actually comes from right here in the West Michigan area where I am located. Vice President Kamala Harris gave us a visit.
1: Vice President Kamala Harris is now back in the air after making a stop in Grand Rapids. Today, she sounded the alarm about what she says
2: is a threat to abortion rights. Political reporter Rick Albin spent the day covering the event in downtown Grand Rapids. If you weren't one of the few invited guests that attended the vice president's stop at Fountain Street Church this afternoon, you may have had little idea she was even in the area. Her event was billed as a fight for reproductive freedom, and it was an opportunity to try and rekindle the Democratic base who turned out in big numbers two years ago after the Supreme Court overturned Roe. That combined with redistricting helped fuel a Democratic blowout that saw their party in charge of everything in Michigan— for the first time in 40 years. Today, Harris said, despite the fact that Michigan memorialized the right to abortion in its constitution in 2022, the election of Donald Trump could put that in jeopardy.
3: So this is a very real issue. And I thank again the governor and the Michigan legislature for all you have done, Um, but do understand um, the people of Michigan cannot sit back and take comfort without also understanding that elections matter and that there is a full-on concerted effort to pass a national ban, which would mean the people of Michigan, would not be as safe.
2: Whatever shape a ban might take, it's not exactly clear how it would be passed, how it might apply. But one of the reasons the vice president was here in Michigan to talk about it was clear. It was, as we said, a hot button issue in 2022. Now, two years later, Democrats would like to have that as an election issue again. And why? Here? Well, without getting completely in the weeds, here is a representation of the electoral map projections based on current polls. Now, please take note, we're eight months away from the election. A lot of things can and may change. But today, Democrats are projected to have 229 electoral votes leaning their way. Republicans, 232. It's tight. Now, according to 270 to win, this is the average. And it does take 270 to win. Right now, there are 44 electoral votes that are up for grabs in Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, and, yes, in Michigan. That's enough to put either side over the top. One of these northern states in combination with one of these three others, Georgia, Arizona, and Nevada, that could do it too. So Michigan, a long must-win, particularly for Democrats, is in play big this year, which is why you'll see many more events like the one we saw today between now and November.
0: So this is a very interesting story to me that the vice president of the United States would come to Grand Rapids to do a summit on abortion rights. That's the first thing that's interesting to me. The second thing that's interesting to me is that I saw no advanced publicity for it. And like Rick Elvin says in this piece, the only reason I know about it is because of the piece. Because News Channel 8 covered it, and Rick Alvin was there. But I find it so interesting that people like Kamala Harris think it will be dangerous for people to continue to foster an environment where it is illegal to kill people. We've been through this a lot on my podcast, both on the Speaking for Him podcast and here on Culture watch, so I won't talk about this ad nauseum, but let me just review for you. In the 1970s, when Roe versus Wade came down, first of all, the Supreme Court is not allowed to make laws. And essentially that's what they did with Roe v. Wade. Even Ruth Bader Ginsburg, liberal Supreme Court justice that she was, admitted such. But consider the language of Roe versus Wade, where it said, up until the age of viability, you can do abortion. But because of the vagueness of that language, it basically led to most states allowing abortion at any time over the nine-month period because of Roe. And Michigan worked very hard to put the state restrictions that they could on the abortion practice. They routinely earned an F from pro-abortion groups as far as being a friendly state to their agenda. And I was very proud to work with Right to Life for a decade. Then we voted Gretchen Whitmer into office several years ago At the same time that there was a referendum on recreational marijuana. And that led our state, I believe, to some very dark days. Then we had Proposal 3 on the ballot a couple years ago. That was very vague in its language and basically allowed abortion to become legal in all nine months for any reason again in the state of Michigan. And it's very sad to me that these Democrats are pushing this narrative that being pro-life is somehow dangerous for women. Do you know how many stories I've heard about women that could not have babies after they chose to have an abortion and wrecked their insides? Do you know how many stories I've heard about women that were coerced into abortion by criminals who wanted to cover up their actions? Do you know how few stories I've heard where the where the abortion was anything less than elective and was actually to save the life of the mother? Do you know how many people's stories I've heard who were the products of rape and yet they are still a vibrant, God-loving person today because somehow, some way, that person was brave enough to choose life? This whole idea that we can foster a better place to live as the state of Michigan by allowing people to kill their children is utterly ridiculous. And you bet I want a national ban on this. Because this isn't just a matter of choice. This is a matter of life and death. And we need to support life. And yes, I understand that means supporting life in all its stages. I understand that that means supporting the unwed mother after she is pregnant. But we need to foster a culture of life not a culture that says life is inconvenient. This makes me so sad that people think that this is something for Michigan to boast about. It's not. Michigan should be ashamed of themselves right now. Absolutely and utterly ashamed. And how can someone say, I want to raise my family in Michigan, but I want to make sure that I have the right to kill my children before I move back? This is something that our esteemed governor, Gretchen Whitmer, has said in a state-of-the-state State address. This is the governor that we have, folks. We need to pray for her. We need to pray that her heart would be melted And that she would change. That she would come to know the Lord Jesus in a real and positive way. And that God would raise up our next governor. You realize this is Gretchen Whitmer's second term. That means that the governor's office is going to be wide open. And somebody needs to step up and run a pro-family, loving campaign that will convince the people of Michigan that you want to be a servant leader to them and lead us into the next four years after Miss Whitmer leaves office. We need to start praying about that now because blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. All right, well, we just recently had the Super Bowl and as part of the Super Bowl, the last couple of years there's been a campaign by a group of prominent people that want to pay to get the message of Jesus out on the national airwaves. And I remember when this first came out last year, I was optimistic. I'm excited that people want to share about Jesus. But then there were some concerns raised about this campaign. And just as those concerns were raised last year and actually led to a podcast series of mine about the deity of Jesus, which I encourage you to check out in my archive, there were concerns this year. And the primary concerns, I think, about this campaign have to do with what the messaging of the website is. Here is a prominent conservative YouTuber who goes by the moniker Gothics, talking about her issues with this campaign.
3: It's pointless to not recognize that Jesus is Lord, but yet he was just, you know, he had great ideas. Pointless. And then when it gets to the question, uh, one of the frequently asked questions, it says, What is your stance on the LGBTQ plus community? This is where all of the alarms started going off in my brain. And I'm going to read it to you. So this is what it says. They say that this is the most common question they receive. And we understand why. Many of those who represent Jesus have made people in the LGBTQ plus community feel judged and excluded and others in Jesus's community have simply ignored their stories and lived experiences. So let us be clear in our opinion, Jesus loves gay people and Jesus loves trans people. The LGBTQ plus community, like all people, is invited to explore the story of Jesus and consider his example of unconditional love, grace, forgiveness of others. No matter who you are, you are invited to explore the story of Jesus and consider what it means for your life. So that to me reads as like a politician when you ask a very direct question. And instead of answering the question, they just redirect the attention elsewhere. This is sounding almost like an optional thing. You know, you might benefit from his teachings, which is very bizarre to me to engage in an organization like this that doesn't fully believe Jesus is who he says he is. I think that this whole campaign is an effort to further dilute Christianity and that's gonna result in two things. Number one is you're gonna end up with a lot of this woke Progressive Christianity, which is a politicized version of Christianity. And then you're also going to end up with a bunch of people who think that they are saved when they're actually not because they became a Christian for some topical shallow reason. Oh, you know, it helps with my mental health. I like the community aspect. They have good programs. You know, it's culturally significant. When I'm looking on their website, a lot of the articles that they have, they will make a point to cite Bible references. To make their argument for for some reason for for some odd reason, when it came to this question, they didn't cite a Bible verse. I wonder why that's weird, huh that's kind of weird, but then. They said that many people who represent Jesus have made people in the LGBTQ community feel judged and excluded. I'm not going to argue with the fact that there are a lot of people who claim to be Christians that could work on their delivery and have forgotten the concept of loving your neighbor and praying for your enemies. I am not going to disagree with you on that. Not everyone is like that. Again, I think most of the time, what People like this are defining as hate is simply rebuking sin. And that's not the same thing. Um, but they go on to say that they've made people feel excluded. The gospel is for everyone. It is for everyone if you want it. So the big question is whether or not Jesus is tolerant. Is he actually tolerant? Is everyone going to be in the kingdom of heaven when they die? Is everyone, is that, is that fair to say? I I don't think it is. The fact that this organization doesn't seem to have an emphasis on repentance is very concerning. (laughs) Um, If you remove the need to repent, then there is no point to any of this. This cultural Christianity, it's useless.
0: If This ad campaign that we saw again on Super Bowl Sunday led to a website where the gospel was clearly delineated and laid out verse by verse with all of the important details. Then there is potential for it to be a good ad campaign. But because it it leads you to a website where it talks about exploring Jesus as a generic, good, positive thing to do, there's a problem. I thought it was very significant that Gothics in her commentary here, points out that in almost every other aspect of their website, they have scripture verses backing up what they wanted to share. But when it comes to dealing with the... LBGTQ community, there are no verses. Why is that? Very curious, right? Well, the bottom line is the Bible speaks against these lifestyles. Because God said marriage is for one man, one woman for a lifetime. He said you're made male and female said you're made for a purpose. He says that humans are a divine expression of his creativity. And every person is made in the image of God for his purposes. And there is nothing in the scriptures that speaks positively of these alternative lifestyles. It's just not there. The reality is that the power of finding out who Jesus is and the power of getting to know Jesus is found in the fact that he who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God. That's where the power is. There's even a verse in the epistles that talks about people trying to live the Christian life on their own power, saying that they have a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. What good is it to direct people to Jesus if it's not the Jesus that can save them from their sins and give them abundant life? Quite frankly, I think that the devil is fine with the social Jesus. He's fine with Jesus as a good example. But when you talk about Jesus as the Son of God, who came to put an end to sin, then he has a problem. Why? Because he hates mankind. And he wants mankind to be doomed to the future that he has in eternal fire and damnation. So, the biggest problem with the He Gets Us campaign is that it's not as important that he gets us as it is that we Get him. Because here is the bottom line. Here is the only distinction that you need to be aware of heading into eternity. You need to ask yourself, does Jesus know me? Because if you trust him and you repent of your sins and you invite him to be the Lord of your life, then he is going to say that he does know you. But if you choose not to do that, he will say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. So, you may say, he gets us. But I can say, and I trust that you will be able to say, if you are a fellow believer in him and his redemptive power, I know him. He knows me. And that's what matters the most. Well, I want to end today by sharing with you the theatrical trailer for the upcoming movie, Ordinary Angels. And I had the opportunity to actually preview this movie, I think way back last July. Originally it was going to come out in September. And then Taylor Swift had a theatrical release of her New Eras tour and the company that put out Ordinary Angels decided to delay releasing it until after that hysteria blew over and so they settled on February. The release date is February 23rd and I will be releasing my review of Ordinary Angels coming up on Wednesday so make sure you don't miss that. But here is the theatrical trailer for this heartwarming true story that is coming into theaters near you. My name is Sharon, and I'm an alcoholic for this wooden headache. My, My advice, find a reason to be here that's bigger than you are. I read about this
1: family in the paper. I think this is it.
2: We have a situation, and we we'll want to look pretty
0: for mommy. Well, maybe just a little off the cheeks. God is here with us right now, and we are here with
1: you. Something about that little girl without a mom—sick, and the family's fled dry from all the hospital bills. I think I'm supposed to help. Hi, Sharon.
0: Yes, ma'am.
1: I just wanted to come by and give you this. I just made dinner. If you want to stay, I'd love to. <laughs>
0: What are you doing? I met this woman.
1: She's a mess. Perfect. She'll fit right in. Four hundred thousand plus in medical bills. All three credit cards maxed out. Your income's only thirty six hundred a month. Yes, ma'am. That's not good, Ed. No, ma'am. I'm gonna put together a press kit for corporate donations, that kind of thing. Smile, girls. Help your daddy out. <laughs> I've owned four small businesses. I'm good at plenty of things. Taking no for an answer ain't one of them. Daddy's in the first head. You're asking us to reduce the family's medical bills due to hardship. No, I'm asking you to erase them, all of them.
2: Was that funny? Daddy, my belly
0: hurts.
2: Oh, you want to go on an adventure? Mm-hmm.
3: Michelle will need to fly 700 miles to the Children's
1: Hospital. Are you telling me we need a
2: plane now? How exactly do you recommend we get a plane, Doc?
1: I'll get you a plane, I promise.
3: We are going to save this girl, you
2: hear me? We're going to need a lot of shovels. This is our last chance. If we don't take it, Michelle dies.
1: How did it become your responsibility to save her? Because I'm here. Because
0: I can. So I'm super excited about sharing with you my review of this film. I would encourage you to go and see it. It's such a powerful movie because the lady that helps out this family, she's really struggling with her own personal demons, and she starts helping them because she's literally encouraged Find something to do that gives you purpose. And I love the part in the trailer where her friend asks her, why do you have to do this? And she says, because I'm here and because I can. And that's such an encouragement to me, and I hope it is to you, that God can use us to help other people when we least expect it. We think that we have to... Have some extraordinary skill or be some amazing person to be able to help others. And first of all, anyone fearfully and wonderfully made by God is amazing. So in that respect, we all are. But what this movie teaches is that you can be very ordinary, but you can be used by an extraordinary God. And I don't know about you, but that makes me excited because a lot of times I feel extremely ordinary, but I'm so humbled every time God uses me in the lives of others. Well, that's about all I have time to share with you on this week's episode. If you have any feedback that you would like to share, please make sure that you share it with the contact information at the end of the show. You can even send me a voicemail that I could possibly feature on a future episode if you just click the link on my blog at speakingforhim.blogspot.com. That's speaking the number for him. blogspot.com. With that being said, I will simply say, have a great week and keep serving the best of masters.